0: Delivering the content of a presentation is one thing. Having the stage presence you need to get your message across is another thing. On today's show, the art of stage presence when you're presenting. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 188. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And we are going to tackle communication in a big way today. We've talked on some recent recent episodes about presenting, and we've talked on the show before about presenting and speaking in the context of how to structure a presentation and also what to do to get ready for presentation day a few months ago. But... We haven't talked as much about the delivery, the stage presence that you want to have and be considering when you're giving that presentation. And that's why I'm really thrilled to have been introduced to someone who has done a lot of thinking, researching, and most importantly, taken a lot of practical action to help people Improve their stage presence. And I'm w- glad to welcome to the show today Dr. James Whitaker. He's a distinguished technical evangelist at Microsoft. He studied numerous speakers, presenters, storytellers, and comedians to learn what makes them effective communicators, and he teaches the Art of Stage Presence class for Microsoft employees, and he's also the author of the books Career Superpowers, Succeeding on Purpose, and The Art of Stage Presence, both available on Amazon Kindle. James, I'm glad to know you. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Well, I think uh, speaking of getting started, let's start right at the beginning. I know one of the things that you're a big proponent of when you're teaching people about stage presence is starting strong and, and, and really thinking through that opening. Um, tell me about why is that important and what are some of the strategies we should be thinking about when we get on stage and really want to make that impression?
1: Well, let's back up just a second to before you get on stage, and, and there's a there's a couple of really important uh, points that that I think people really need to understand, um, and 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 one is is about you know what you're saying, and you really have to understand that the audience will relate to your concept that you're talking about much more than details, and so in that first few couple of minutes, you've really got to steer clear of any details and really go after the concept that you're talking about and try to get that in, into, people's, into people's head. And then the second thing to think about while you're making your presentation is really understand that you're doing this for the audience. Uh, this isn't, some, it isn't for you, it isn't for the speaker. I see way too many speakers stand up, start talking about their resume, start talking about their qualifications, and no one cares. Uh, you, you, they're not here to hear about you, they're here to hear about the presentation that you're making, so you know you really have to understand that the presentation is you are speaking for the audience, not to the audience, and it's a huge distinction. so I think once you get those two things in your head uh, uh, the the first i i don't a lot of speakers say to the first two minutes or the first three minutes or to me it's ninety nine seconds and I, I make it ninety nine seconds because Uh, it's kind of an off kilter number and it makes you think about it and and, and it's much more memorable Uh, and it's slightly over a minute and a half Um, but you've got that time I mean that's really the only time that the audience is listening to you without you having to earn it and so you've got to take advantage of that and if at the end of that 99 seconds you haven't said something that has inspired them or intrigued them or interested them or informed them in some way uh, you're not going to get them back. They're going to tune out. There's simply too many distractions in the modern world. They've got a very interesting device in their hand. Uh, you know, their 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 cell phone, they may have a tablet or a PC that they can look at. And, you know, if you give them a reason to look at something else, they're going to do
0: it. Well, it's interesting how you phrase that of um, you, that first 99 seconds is the point where people listen to you without you having to earn it tell me more about that. What is, it, what is it that's different beyond that point that really requires you to have then earned people's attention? Well, if you think about it, anybody's
1: going to give you 99 seconds. They they showed up for the talk. Uh, even if they had to go, they're there. They made the effort to get in the room. They're going to listen for some period of time. And you know, if you look at the brain science behind attention spans, it's it's somewhere around a minute or two minutes. I think it's actually getting a little bit shorter recently because people are so distracted and so used to 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 multitasking uh so 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 they're there they're going to listen and then after that you know the brain kind of just wanders right boredom is is, is really inter- does some really interesting things to your mind and you know your mind will figure out something else to think about if you're not engaged in in the talk it'll think about you know your relationship worries, your financial troubles, the project that you're doing at, at home or the project that you're doing at work. You know, your brain will find something else to think about if it's not fully engaged. And I think it's much more of a challenge now, in the, you know, the, particularly with the millennials uh, that make up a large part of my audiences. You know, these, are, these are people raised on Xbox, and, and they've had screens to stare at that are very interesting uh, their whole lives. And you've got to figure out a way to overcome it, and you've got 99 seconds to do so. So you need to say something to pique their interest in the first 99 seconds or or they will tune out. You, you, can, you can guarantee it. After the 99 seconds, you they will listen because you've earned their attention. And you have to continue to make sure that the concept that you're trying to get across uh, remains interesting the rest of
0: the time. When I saw that you've uh, written online or someone had written about you that that you're a believer in really thinking through exactly what you're going to say, even scripting out that first that first minute and a half of the presentation. And I, I think you're probably in the same boat I am, is that you know we would never advise someone to script out an entire presentation, but but why would why script out that first part? Why why is that um, why is that helpful for people?
1: I'll tell you, I wish I could script out the entire presentation. I'm just not that smart to remember it all. <laughs> um, I, I think that you know, for for me, there's a couple of imperatives in the first 99 seconds. The very first sentence you have to just be able to nail. It has to be compelling. It has to be interesting, and you have to say it perfectly. Like you know, the, one of the talks I'm giving right now, my first sentence is "Data is the new oil," and and, and I say it. Exactly that same way every single time I've committed it to memory. Because when you're standing up there, you get a little nervous. And, and you know you look out in the audience and maybe you see somebody you recognize and that's thrown you off. You see somebody that has a scowl on their face and, and you're worried about that they're not going to be interested. And you have you know, to the natural human stage fright uh, instincts kick in. It's really important to have that at least that very first sentence uh, completely committed to memory. I mean, write it on your hand if you have to. Um, and then after that, the rest of the 99 seconds, I, I don't commit it to memory, um, but I know what concept I'm, I'm trying to get across. Mm. And so, so to me, it's the first sentence is really important. And then the rest of that 99 seconds, I have to make sure I've, I've, I've completed my mission. And I give in my course, I give four uh, imperatives for the first 99 seconds. You either inspire them, you intrigue them, you interest them, or you inform them of what the talk is going to be about. And, and I, I, I kind of turn those four things over and, and talk about various goals that you can have. That first 99 seconds, that needs to be very, very purposeful. Everything you do needs to either be scripted or to be done at least done on purpose. So there's no compromise for me on the very first sentence out of your mouth. And then the, the next 99 seconds has to be... Um, uh, very planned. I, I generally tell people to spend as much time on the first 99 seconds as you do on the, preparing the rest of the presentation. It's that important because you don't get a second chance for those 99 seconds. You don't get their attention back if you haven't earned it.
0: It's almost the reason that so many people online spend so much time thinking of. A headline for an article or a subject line for an email because
1: yeah i don't like that headlines nonsense uh not at all I, I mean i read headlines all the time and the headlines are never any good i think in terms of tweets uh what's the most tweetable thing about your presentation oh interesting first, first line but- you got 140 characters come up with something tweetable uh huh? to me newspaper headlines are uh, oh, come on. Why, why not dig up a corpse of, uh, of, of some newscaster and, and have them uh, tell us how to do this? Uh, let's think in more modern terms. Tweets are the new
0: headlines. Interesting. So you don't see the, we're focusing on like a subject line for an email or something like that earns the right to open it or to get traction. When was the last somewhere? time
1: you saw a good subject line for an email?
0: It's pretty rare. It's
1: pretty rare, but tweet, cool, great tweets happen all the time, right? So tweets are much better place to look for inspiration than, than old. I mean, email is is two, so two thousands, and the headlines are so nineteen nineties. Uh, we have millennials in our audiences now; they're not going to
0: tolerate that crap. Interesting, interesting. Okay, fair enough. So let's uh, let's look at practice because that's one of the things you zero in a lot in your work with people, and I'm curious about what you've said. Being vulnerable and flawed makes it harder to practice for a presentation, but harder practice means the presentation will be stronger. Tell me about that.
1: Ah, wow. Okay, let's talk about practice in general, and and then I'll, I'll get around to that specific question. Okay, practice is really important. I mean, you look at all the books that are written. Now, you can learn how to present present like Steve Jobs. You can learn how to give a TED talk. You know, this is this is crazy. You can't learn how to give a TED talk. You've got to. You've got to practice. You've got to rehearse. Um, you know, all of these books that we have out there on, on how to, to ba- make a presentation, and none of them have helped make a better presentation. We, boredom is still the default. You know, people are being bored to tears right now as we're recording this. And when people are listening to this next week and the week after and, and, and next year, there's going to be still millions of people in conferences rooms being bored to death. It's not about the presentation. It's about the presenter. I don't care how good the presentation is. If the presenter is not any good, it's going to suck. So we've got to start focusing on the presenter, and that means practice is really, really important. And so I tell people to look for small stages in their life that they can practice on. you are one-on-one with your manager, that's a practice stage. Your, your performance review, that's a practice stage. Uh, the meeting with your teammates, and even if it's a stand-up meeting, that's a practice stage, and and you get a chance. I I actually coach people into telling their career stories. Uh, it's you, you know a story about you, a story about the product you work on, a story about your role on that team. All of those are are I call them small stages, chances for you to practice your craft of presenting. And if you can perfect that, uh, then you know not only is it going to improve your career, it's going to make you a better speaker. You know rock bands. Um, are constantly rehearsing, but they have their set list that they're ready to perform at any any given time. And and their 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 set list is always ready to perform, and yet they're constantly rehearsing it as well. And that's kind of how I, I view presentations. If somebody asks me, what do you do? I have an answer ready for them. If somebody asks me, what product do you work on? I have a story ready for them. And it's concise, and it's impactful, it's got a strong start, does all all the things that a longer story has. But those are the practice opportunities and people need to, to understand that. And, and so when it comes to, you know, stressing yourself, a performance review is a very stressful time. And if you ready yourself for that performance review, you come up with your story about here's what I've done and you craft it well. When you're delivering that, you're practicing presenting. You're getting, you're using that small stage to get ready for uh, the bigger stages of TED and, and all of those things. So throw all those books away. You're not going to learn how to present from a book. You're going to learn how to present by presenting and taking advantage of all the small stages in your life uh to to rehearse and practice your your skill on. And then I take it a step further so now getting a little closer to your question. I take it a step further and add a lot of stress to my practice. I force myself to to do things that take me out of my comfort zone. One of the things I talk about in my class is that when I'm driving into work that day, I try to make I mean, I'm the day of a presentation i try to make eye contact with someone in the car next to me i do this at every stoplight look over <laughs> make eye contact and as soon as that eye contact starts made i actually start delivering my pitch of course they can't hear me and they look at me like i'm freaking nuts right right to right. add stress to me and so i get a chance to deliver my lines under pressure and uh and it's actually quite fun i've taken to um i bought this kind of actually it's, it's my father's old robe i mean i look like an old man in it and and i go and get my newspaper every morning uh, and yeah i still have a newspaper everything i said about headlines i, I wasn't talking about me i still read the newspaper <laughs> oh, okay uh, i see where it's and, going. And I, I dress real funny right I, dra- I put these old man clothes on just so i look ridiculous uh, and and i walk out and and you know, once or twice a week, I'll see someone walking their dog, and I get a chance to just say, "Hey, how you doing?" and talk to them under pressure, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen in my father's robes out by by neighbors, uh, but it puts me under pressure and it gets me. get It's a it's a way of practicing your performance, any performance, while under pressure. And so, if you can figure out, you know, how to make yourself nervous, um, then put yourself in that situation, start delivering your talk. Uh, it's it's worked wonders for me.
0: So it's, it's really like you're using and intentionally putting yourselves in situations that you're going to feel that discomfort, that nervousness. And How else are you
1: are going to practice under pressure? And then you get that practice. During, yeah, during yeah. a talk. And you don't want to practice during during a the, during the talk. You want to be ready. You want to be able to be ready to handle that pressure.
0: Well, and, and so, it's it's funny you say that too, because I've, I've seen this. I'm sure you have a million times too, where someone gets up, they're given a talk, whatever the venue is. And they really don't start well. And they get comfortable. And after 10 or 15 minutes, they do kind of get into it. And they start doing delivering an effective message. But by then, like you said, to your earlier point... It's too late. It's yeah, too late. they yeah. already checked out. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah, they're yeah gone. I feel so sorry for those people. Yeah, so so don't have that Actually, be the practice. I feel practice. sorry for the
1: people in the audience is what I feel sorry for. It's the audiences that are taking the brunt of this boredom epidemic.
0: Well, and that, that's, that's the interesting thing is like nobody wants to sit and watch a presenter... You know, fail on stage. Everyone wants to see a presenter succeed, so the audience is pulling for you, and so you owe it to your audience. Like you said, you know, it's all about them. It's not about it's you. it's all about being your audience.
1: There. If it's about you, it's a it's a real problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, f- fabulous. All right, so I know you've studied some comedians too, and I'm <laughs> I'm wondering comedians are
1: pros, man. You you cannot you cannot give me more than a handful of TED talks that even come close to to even a mediocre comedian and, and there are some great comedians out there. I mean, great. They, they deliver it right. Their pace and cadence of their voice is perfect. The way they choreograph their movement with, with their, with what they say and how they say it is, is beautiful. Uh, their ability to, for, you know, basically a joke is a tweetable moment. Their ability to take a complex subject down and boil it into something profound is amazing. So some of the comedians I use in, in my class are, are Ron White, who's a Southerner that I kind of just you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I have a Zen thing for other Southerners, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, Don Glover I use, uh, Wanda Sykes uh, I use, Amy Schumer I use. Uh, I kind of swap these these folks in. Uh, uh, Dimitri Martin, and you know they they their deliveries are so perfect. That they're an example for the rest of us. We may never, my intention isn't to be that funny. My intention is to extract teachable moments from their, um, their stand up. And there's so many more teachable moments from their stand up than there is in, in TED Talks
0: well it's it's uh it's interesting that you say that because I mean we're talking on a podcast right now podcasting has become mainstream in a lot more ways because comedians actually have had some of the most successful podcasts and are doing it way better than the rest of us as far as getting traction online and, and so I'm curious you know from from your study of them and your classes what what do we as business people and giving organ- giving talks and organizations need to learn from them that they're doing well <sighs>
1: Well, the, so the, 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 one of the things I teach is the, the structure of a joke. And the structure of a joke is to make a statement and then pause and clarify the statement, or ask a question, pause, and then answer the question. And, and that pause is really crucial. Uh, the, the way you use the way comedians use pauses is they set up the joke and then they pause. They let that setup sink in and then they deliver the punchline. And that pause is really what makes it funnier. If they just set it up and said the punchline too fast, the brain hasn't caught up with it. So, So the first thing that comedians do so perfectly is the use of that pause. They understand when they've said something important and that's when they pause. And the more important it is, the longer the pause is. And they might even put in some choreography, you know, the way they sneakily look around at the audience, you know. Uh, And then they deliver the punchline, and so as presenters, as corporate presenters, what we can take away from that is, is when you make a point, you know, when you land your concept, or when you make something a point that's really important, that's the place to insert your pause. You allow that point to sink in, and then, just like the comedian, that's when you land the next point. That's when you land. uh, That's when you close out the point, or you make a recommendation. Right. If your statement is, "Hey, we need to do something like this," you pause, and then you immediately tell them what you need to do because that pause, lots of activity is happening in the brain right now. You basically open their brain up to suggestion, and now's the chance to to plant that. And if you notice, go, go watch a comedian, and you see all the laughter is the thing you say after the pause. That's what they're laughing at. It's crazy, uh, but it works. It works.
0: It, it it really does work, and and it's one of those things that you've. You've got to get out of that mindset of just like reading your slides or just uh, or just looking at bullet points because if you make that genuine connection then you're going to get that you're going to get that opportunity to watch your audience and respond and do that human pause we would do if we were having a one-on-one conversation.
1: I call I call it getting the audience to opt into your talk. Once you get the audience to opt into your talk, you're you're done. Because they they won't stop paying attention because they've decided they want to be there. They've decided they can get something out of this. And and they are actually working on your behalf to make sure that they get as much out of it as possible. So once you have your audience, once you feel that, uh, your audience opting in, as a speaker, you've got a lot more leeway. You can have a lot more fun. You can be a lot more provocative. You can make mistakes. They're going to not care that you've made mistakes in your talk because they've opted in. Nice. So so that's it's, it's something to, to really watch for. When you have that, you can have a lot more fun with an audience.
0: All right. Well, speaking of opting in, uh, I don't think I mentioned to you when we talked earlier that I'm an instructor with Dale Carnegie, so I've been teaching communications instruction classes for years. And one of the things that we find with new instructors is that um, they'll tend to run into obstacles when someone in the class isn't engaged. And they'll start teaching a class to one person uh, <laughs> instead of really, you know, working with the entire room of people. And I know one of the things you've said is don't let the audience steal your energy. And I've seen that happen before. I'm sure you oh, have. Oh, man, and- it
1: can. It, it can happen. The, the audience is, is, I mean, that's why you're there. And when the message isn't resonating, even if it's just with one or two people, many presenters take it personally.
0: Yeah. So what do so, we what do we do to to because that that is a that is a real human thing that I still struggle with when I see that happen. As many years as I've been presenting, when you see that, what do you how do you manage that, James? Like, what do you what do you coach people on doing?
1: Well, so I actually in my the slide that I show for this, I show a picture of John Kerry sitting in an, an audience yawning. <laughs> And, and I, I'm like, don't look at that guy, right? That guy's going to poison you as a speaker. If there's somebody in there, they're yawning, they're obviously bored. The more attention you give, every time you look at them, they take a little bit of your energy away from them. Mm. Don't look at them. If, if, they're, if they've checked out, they're not there to you anymore. They're not part of your audience. It is not your job to win them back. You know, you are never going to win 100 percent of an audience anyhow. So, so don't try. Now you just, now you know who not to try on, right? So, so take it as a as a good thing. Now you can take your energy and and focus it in other places. And then I show this this uh uh this guy standing up, you know, just kind of dancing in the aisles, right? And I said, that's the guy you want to look at. The people who are are the most into it. Uh, the people who are taking notes, the people who are nodding their head, the people who, if they've got their laptop open, it's clear that they're, they're typing in time with the cool things that you're saying, which means they're taking notes. on, on, on you know, Those are the people that you want to give uh, more attention to and get energy back from. Because every time I look at somebody in the audience who's really into what I'm saying… I get a little bit of their energy. I get a little bit of their enthusiasm. You know, my brain gets to say, "Hey, hey, James, you're doing a good job." You know, somebody out there is loving this stuff, and and so you you really can you can draw energy uh, from from an audience, and 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 I I do it all the time. I mean, I my best presentations are always when I have an energetic audience, and my worst presentations are when th- it, it's just a complete disconnect. And, and and I still have those, even though you know I'm, I'm a pro at this stuff now.
0: Well, and that that's a great it's a great point. Is that e- even if you're experienced at this, you do it well. There's still going to be days and times and audiences where you don't make that connection. You and- can you can have a crap day. You
1: can wake up. You didn't sleep well last night. Maybe you're you're fighting with your significant other, or you know one of your children did something stupid, and you know you're not into it. Or you know you're a blue guy in a red crowd, or vice versa. Um, uh, some of them can be can be can be pretty tough. And I think over time, and and that's why you've got to keep practicing. Not all of your one-on-ones are going to go good either. Not all of your performance reviews are going to go good either. And and so practicing on those little stages when things don't go well... uh, now, I like to think that even when I don't connect to an audience, I'm still professional, and I still tell my stories well, and I still have powerful metaphors, and uh, I use descriptive, I still do it. It just doesn't connect. So to me, it, it really, seriously, what I do is I've just put myself, I'm in practice mode. I've screwed this up. I'm just going to practice now. Mm. Um, and, and I just treat it as, as a lesson learned and a, and a time for practice as opposed to delivering my message. <laughs> but we, you got to get used to it. You know, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, everybody has bad days.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, we got the uh, question on the show a few weeks ago from one of our longtime listeners about the, that old presentation advice of tell them what you're going to tell, tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. And we talked about how that nah, that isn't... That. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the best presentation advice at all. It's well-intended. No, intended. it's
1: terrible. It's too, it, for one thing, it drags it out. and In the audience, you're like, okay, you told me that. Now, why are you telling me it again? It's an insult. Come on. Make it fun. Make it interesting. Focus on the concepts. Um, no, I don't believe in that, that, that presentation advice at all. And, and I hope people, people who are listening question it too because so many people do it. It's so boring. It's so mundane. It's so, you're just expecting it. I um, yeah, don't know that that stuff is that's your father's uh, presentation advice this isn't this is this is a new generation
0: and so what you tell people is avoid long and tiresome summaries because that's one of those things that comes I tell people from that don't
1: that. summarize at all if you get to the end of your uh, talk and you feel like you need to summarize that's your problem not the audience's that's your problem for not getting your points across powerfully enough when it was time to get your points across during the presentation that, that last minute or two, that last 99 seconds, if you will, yeah. uh, that's not the time to summarize. And, and if you're summarizing, you've done something wrong. Okay, so, so what, should
0: we, what should we be doing then at You the should end.
1: land the point. So, so everybody walks away. I think it, here, here's just kind of a, a mental exercise. Imagine yourself standing outside the door uh, to, uh, and, and interviewing your audience as they come out. So you've just, you've just closed out. Everybody's clapped. People are leaving. And ask them the question, what was that talk about? Or what were your takeaways? What did you get from that talk? What would you want people to say when they were asked that question after one of your, your talks? That's what you want to say in your last 99 seconds. That, that you want them that thing that they're going to walk away with, that one concept, that one thought that they're going to walk away with. That if they get asked, hey, what did you learn? That's what they're going to say. Whatever that is, that's what you want to have the last thing out of your mouth uh, uh, when you, when you, when you. you quit. That one point, that one takeaway that's more important than everything else It's the last thing you want to say. Awesome. Awesome.
0: All right. So I got one final question for you. So you are a technical evangelist. You've written books on Amazon Kindle. I guess one of the things I just got to ask you is, dude, what are you doing still reading a newspaper? How did that happen? (laughs) Well, there's a, there's
1: a, a columnist in there, Ron Judd, and and one of the other things I tell people is to look for inspiration, find people who inspire you. You know, if you want to learn to say profound things, you've got to read profound things that other people said. And uh, there's a columnist in there in the Seattle Times, Ron Judd, and he's great. He says profound stuff all the time. I buy the newspaper for that one column.
0: Dr. James Whitaker is a distinguished technical evangelist at Microsoft, and he's the author of the book's Career Superpowers, Succeeding on Purpose and the Art of Stage Presence, both on Amazon Kindle. Hey, James, I really appreciate your wisdom and your energy. Thanks a bunch. You are welcome, sir. Big thanks to James for sharing his perspective and wisdom with us. I hope that you'll join the conversation too. If you have additional thoughts you'd like to add in, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 188. That's where you can find the notes and join the conversation at the bottom of that page. And speaking of joining the conversation, I hope that you will join for our Q&A show on the first Monday of every month when Bonnie and I get together and field questions. And if you have a question you'd like us to tackle in an upcoming Q&A show, send it in to us at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And the next episode is going to be episode 191. And the topic is going to be on books. So lots of places you can go with that, books that you're looking for recommendations on, particular topic areas, how to utilize books for your learning, how to manage your reading, how to find time to read, how to catalog, how to take notes, You name it, uh, even if it doesn't relate to books, send in your question. We will definitely consider it for the show. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And speaking of books and a lot of other resources, the resources page is now up on the Coaching for Leaders website. So if you're looking for resources around a particular topic that might be software-related services, books, uh, people who've been on the show before have recommended resources, I am starting to catalog all those, and the list is growing weekly. So go to coachingforleaders.com resources if that's helpful to you, or you can just click on resources when you're on the Coaching for Leaders website. And speaking of which, the link to that will be at the bottom of the weekly leadership guides that go out on Wednesdays. So check that out. And I hope you will join the weekly leadership guide if you're not already getting it. The guide is coming to your inbox every Wednesday, and it also always has my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, other resources that will support your development between shows. I usually focus on one topic area per week and uh, really look for the best resources or thinking out there on the web that will be helpful to you. And it also includes a brief overview and a link to the full weekly show notes. So this week, James, uh, James's information will be up there along with the links to his books. So if you tend to listen on the road like I do, this is a good way for you to follow up on the links and resources that we mention in every show. And when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get access right away to my reader's guide listing the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries for me on the value of each book. An 11-page reader's guide comes with that as well as a nine-minute video. So that's a great starting point for your reading and uh, maybe your, some of your questions around the Q&A show will come from some of those books or recommendations even beyond those books. So definitely check that all out at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That's how you get access to all of that. And I look forward to speaking with you on Wednesdays in your inbox if that is of interest to you. And finally, this week, another community member spotlight. I've been so thrilled that so many people have been willing to uh, take a moment to record a quick spotlight. Uh, by the way, there's a there's a process on the website for how to do that. If you're interested, it'll walk you through the steps and even give you some suggested things you can comment on if you'd like. And if you're interested in doing that, go to coachingforleaders.com slash spotlight. And today the spotlight
2: is from David. Hey, Dave. This is David wassore here from Fort Worth, Texas. Just wanted to give you a call and tell you just how much I absolutely love your show. Actually, both shows. I've been a listener to Coaching for Leaders for over a year now, but I don't exactly know just how long because I love to go back and listen to the earlier episodes. Eventually, I'll be all caught up and I've heard everything you've recorded. Eventually, I found the show in the iTunes library, just doing a search for podcast relating leadership. Lo and behold, yours was at the top of the list, so I listened once and I've been hooked ever since. You know, I listen to over 25 different podcasts each week. I've got them broken down into basically three categories on my on my phone, on the, the app I listen to them. Uh, the first one is Shorties. Those are podcasts that are 10 minutes or less. My favorites, which are my must-listen-to shows each week. Um, and then there's everything else. Needless to say, both of your shows are the first ones listed in both the first two categories. I also wanted you to know that while every podcast you create is inspirational insightful, plenty of actionable items that I can use immediately. I always look over my shoulder when I hear the ones you produce with Bonnie. It's like you're watching me or something. Uh, you're speaking something that has happened to me you know, in my life that week. As a result of your podcast, uh, you had mentioned the Toastmaster International Organization on one of the earlier episodes that I listened to. And uh, while I've never been shy about speaking to a group of people before, uh, due to changes in my job the last couple of years, I had fallen out of practice. I searched them out online, found a club that meets weekly at lunch, about a block away from the office, got involved, and I'll be finishing my first major achievement there in the next couple of weeks. If I could remember one thing to your listeners, if I could recommend one thing to your listeners, it would not just be to listen about leadership, but to get out there and do it. With Toastmasters Clubs all over the world, there's bound to be one near everybody that they can connect with and actually practice their leadership skills in a safe environment. It stinks when we fail, but if we fail friends who won't fire us but will reach down, pick us up, brush us off, and let us try again, it's not that bad. You know what they say, practice makes perfect, and the more we can practice, the better we're going to be. Well, Dave, thanks again for everything. Keep up the great work. Love the show. Well, David, thank you so much for the
0: kind words, and I am so honored that you would include us on the top of your category list for both of those uh, sections on your app. Thank you so much, David. And the other show David's referring to, of course, is the Carnegie Coach Show that I host for the Dale Carnegie Organization. You can find that at carnegiecoach.com. That's on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it's a much shorter show. So you can check that out if you're interested. And I would also second David's recommendation on Toastmasters, a great organization. If you're an individual and want to get better at speaking and your confidence in speaking, Toastmasters is a great way to do it. I was a Toastmaster for five years, and it really helped me in so many wonderful ways. And the Dale Carnegie organization, of course, is great if you're an organization wanting to develop people and their communication skills. So check it out at carnegiecoach.com. Thanks and have a great week, everyone. Take care.